0: Well, let's get ready to get right into the word this morning. I am so excited to be uh, bringing you the final message in a series called Lift. This is a word that God spoke to my heart for our church for this year, and we just felt like we would set the tone at the beginning of the year by preaching through this four-week series. And so if you've missed it, let me just kind of catch up to speed a little bit on some of the things that that God has been saying. Now, uh, don't worry about writing all this down too much, because in March, looking at maybe the 17th of March, we're going to be launching our Spring Life Group series. And I'm so excited uh, to to have you take the conversation in some new directions than the ways that I've discussed this word in the last three weeks. Uh, But God's going to begin to speak some things uh, in conversation. In just several weeks, and and I can't wait for that time, be looking for that as we launch our Lift Life Group series in the spring. But in week one of this series, I began by talking about how the priority of every Christian life should be to lift the name of Jesus. Every Christian, I don't care what your background is, I don't care what your church home is or your denomination or affiliation, every believer in Jesus as their Savior ought to live with this number one priority, to lift up the name of Jesus. Amen? Amen. That should be our number one goal. And, and so in the first week, I talked about practically one of the ways that we lift Jesus, and we saw it demonstrated again this morning in our worship. We lift our hands. And I challenge you to lift your hands when we lift our hands, we lift them up in praise, declaring who God is. When we lift our hands, we lift them up in purity, because the Bible says that he who has clean hands and a pure heart is the one who can ascend the very uh, hill of the Lord. And so it's through, our, it's through our purity that we honor God and we approach his presence. We, we lift our hands practically. And what I mean in that is that our worship is not just something vertical, but it's also horizontal. Horizontal that we reach out to others, that we serve in a practical way. And finally, we talked about reaching our hands up, lift our hands in power. God has given you and he's given me the ability to see demonstrations of his power in the earth. That's why when we pray for the sick, we lay hands on them because we lift up our hands and we believe that God is going to flow through our lives. Now, the second week, we talked about not just lifting up our hands, we talked about lifting our eyes. In those moments when you feel like you're at your lowest, faith looks up. I lift my eyes, the psalmist said, to the hills. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the maker of heaven and earth. In other words, when you've got mountains in front of you, we lift our eyes above the mountains. We lift our eyes above the circumstances and we believe in a God who formed those mountains. Last week, we talked about lifting our voice. Last week, we talked about the initial physical evidence of the baptism in the Holy Spirit. And I challenged you last week to lean in to the Holy Spirit, to lean into what the Holy Spirit wants to do in your life and to not be limited in your perspective of what God can do through a man or woman of God who is yielded completely to the Holy Spirit. You know, it's interesting. This morning, I was eating breakfast and uh, did something really spiritual that I'm sure a lot of you do, started scrolling through Facebook, and I saw an article that the Bishop of Canterbury, the leader of the Church of England, said, I pray in tongues every day. That was shocking news to people. That might be shocking news to you, so I had to read the article sure enough, he said, every day I pray in my prayer language. Let me tell you, this is not just an experience that's for churches that call themselves Pentecostal or charismatic. It is an experience for every believer that you can be filled with the Holy Spirit and that you can communicate with God in a heavenly, personal, and powerful prayer language. And so we talked about that last week. Today, I want to challenge you. To lift your head. I want you to go with me to Psalm chapter 24. I want you to see this verse and we'll put these on the screen if you don't have a Bible or if you, uh, you can't get there quick enough. I want you to see what the psalmist said in Psalm 24 verse 7 through 10. Psalm 24 verse 7. I hear pages turning I love that sound. <laughs> Are you there? But now I know you're there because you're looking at it behind me. Psalm 24, verse 7 says this Lift up your heads, O you gates. Be lifted up, you ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is the King of glory? The Lord, strong and mighty. The Lord, mighty in battle. It was so good, he has to say it again. Look at verse 9. Lift up your heads, you gates. Lift them up, you ancient doors that the king of glory may come in. Who is the king of glory? The Lord Almighty. He is the king of glory. Most scholars believe that this was the song that they sang when the Ark of the Covenant was coming back into the city from battle. See, the Ark of the Covenant was a box, essentially, that, uh, that signified God's throne in the earth. It was the the tangible expression of God's presence among the people, and and miracles were performed in the presence of this ark. God uh, manifested his presence in powerful ways at the ark, and so when the people of Israel went out to battle, they wanted God to go with them, so they literally took the box with them. They had uh, they had a plan and protocol for how to pack it up and who should carry it and, and who shouldn't touch it. And they would take it with them because they wanted God's presence to go with them. And when they would go out and they would win these battles, they would come back into the city and they would be carrying this ark and they would be singing this song and they would say, lift up your heads. Oh, you gates. And be lifted up, you ancient doors, that the king of glory may come in, or so that we could say, so that the king of glory may come back in. In Psalm 24, gates and doors are personified. It's more than just saying, open the door, lift up the gate, so that we can get back inside with the throne of God. It was more than that. The... the, the personification of the gates and the doors. It's saying that the gates and the doors, they represent courage. They represent strength. They represent power. Jesus used the same symbolism when he said this. The gates of hell will not prevail against the church. Now, I don't know whose uh, combat strategy would include attacking somebody with a gate. That's not what Jesus was saying. He was saying that the strength of hell... The power of hell will not be able to prevail against the church. And so the gates, they represent strength, they represent confidence and boldness. And so the idiom, lift up your head, it means uh, lift up your confidence, lift up your boldness. Let me give you a couple examples in scripture before we move forward. Just quickly, it says in Judges 8, verse 28. Thus, Midian was subdued before the Israelites and did not raise its head again. Why? They had been subdued. They lost confidence, they lost their boldness. In Job chapter 10, verse 15, Job said this He said, If I'm guilty, woe to me. Even if I am innocent, I cannot lift my head, for I am full of shame and drowned in my affliction. Have you ever been in a situation where you just felt like you couldn't lift your head? You you were just discouraged. You felt defeated. Or or maybe you even said this to somebody that had just tried and failed. Uh, Maybe even one one of your kids, they played a game and and they lost and and they were discouraged. And you said, hey, keep your chin up, right? Keep your head up. What are we saying in that moment? We're saying don't be discouraged. Don't Don't lose your confidence. Keep your head up. Lift your head in this moment. Listen, I want to tell you today, and I'm asking the Holy Spirit to to speak through me in this morning, to tell you, regardless of what you face, regardless of what you might be going through right now, lift up your head. Keep your chin up today. And listen, this is not just a pep talk. This is not me just trying to motivate you to have a, a positive mental attitude No, I want you to see what the psalmist saw as the ark of God's presence began to come back into the city. You have strength. You have confidence. Why? Because the presence of the Lord is here. Lift up your gates, lift up your doors. Why? Because the presence of the Lord is here. Look at verse 9 one more time with me Psalm 24, verse 9. Lift up your heads, you gates. Lift them up, you ancient doors, that the king of glory may come in. Did you notice that there's a prerequisite for the presence of the Lord coming in? Lift up your heads so that he can come in. Don't be discouraged. Don't lose your confidence. Don't let doubt and discouragement block God's presence from moving in your life today. You know, you could be here in this service this morning into the same atmosphere of faith that other people are sitting in, hearing the same word of God, the promises of God that other people are receiving. And while some people are receiving it with faith and courage and they're being built up, you could sit and you could miss the whole thing because you kept the gate closed, because you kept the doors locked. Because you you continue to let discouragement and doubt and inferiority and and guilt and condemnation and, and whatever else the devil wants to throw on your mind. You continue to let that weigh you down and you can absolutely miss what God wants to do in your life. I want to challenge you today. Lift up your head, lift up your gates, lift up your doors. God wants to do something in your life and he wants to give you a revelation of his presence. Come on, how many of you know when his presence comes in, things change? That's a reason for us to be encouraged today. That's a reason for us to have hope. Now, I want to show you a scripture this morning, really several verses, about an individual that exemplifies this. It's in the Old Testament, the first book, book of Genesis. Go with me to chapter 37. The story of Joseph... It is really one of the longest life stories we have in the Bible. It goes from uh, chapter 37 all the way to chapter 50. So I'm not going to attempt to tell you the whole story of Joseph today, but I want to give you some of the highlights. And if there's a title for this message today, it's simply this, small beginnings, small beginnings. Joseph 30, uh, Genesis 37 is where we first meet our character, Joseph, and, and at this time, he's a young man. He's 17 years old, and God gives him a dream. Have you ever had a dream? God gives Joseph a dream, and, and, and in that dream, he's lifted up. His head is lifted up above his brother's all 11 of them, and above his mom and above his dad. It was God's way of saying by the Holy Spirit to him that that, Joseph, I'm going to elevate you. You're going to have a position of authority that even your older brothers and even your parents are going to, they're going to be under your authority. But the first problem we come into in Joseph's story is he didn't manage the dream well. He didn't handle it right. In fact, what Joseph went out and he did is, instead of trusting God to to do something that was beyond his comprehension at this young state in his life, instead of just holding on to that dream, he went and blabbed about it. Joseph went and told everybody about what God was going to do. Oh, I had a dream last night. Yeah, you were bowing down at my feet. It was awesome. Yeah. (laughs) So you can imagine how that went over with all of his older brothers. Oh, yeah, even mom and dad. Everybody bowed down. God's lifted up my head. And so they didn't appreciate the dream quite as much as Joseph did, as you can imagine. In fact, verse five of Genesis 37 tells the whole story in a single sentence. Joseph had a dream. And when he told it to his brothers, they hated him all the more. Now, here's the crazy thing. They already hated him before he had the dream. And he knew they hated him. But after he had the dream and he told them about the dream, they hated him all the more. Can I just say, not everyone who you tell your dreams to is is excited about your success as you are. (laughs) You know, some people only want you to succeed so long as you don't become more successful than them. I'm happy with you, you know pursuing your dreams, just so long as they're not bigger than mine. And and some people, quite honestly, they just don't want you to succeed at all. In fact, your failure makes them feel better about their own inadequacies. So they would be just as happy to see you fail miserably. And there are some people out there, they just don't have the capacity for what God said to you. There are some people that they're just not going to get it. And you got to make up your mind. Are you going to let their limited perspective on what God can do define your future? Or are you just going to move on with faith and confidence in what God has said? See, Joseph didn't know how to manage the dream. It was big, and it was awesome, and it was from God. But he didn't handle it right. And so his brothers, just to make sure that Joseph's head wasn't lifted above his, they threw him in a deep hole. They threw him in a deep pit. And instead of killing him, which was their first idea, they decided to sell him to a caravan that was going to Egypt. And so when you get to Genesis chapter 39, you find that Joseph is now the servant of a man named Potiphar. Look with me in the first couple verses of Genesis 39. Joseph's the servant of Potiphar, who by the way, is the captain of Pharaoh's guard. So now Joseph is, he's living in a foreign country, learning a foreign language, working in the the house of a foreign official, a military official. But something amazing happens. After just a little while, all of a sudden, Joseph, is in charge of everything in the palace. Everything that Potiphar has, he gives it to Joseph. Now, now why why would he do that? Well, the simple answer is this, because if God has chosen to lift you up, no man can keep you down. If God wants to elevate you, you don't have to be worried about where you're at or who you're with or who you're serving or why you're doing it, because you know your ultimate why. And so Joseph just... He does what God gave him the ability and the gift to do. It doesn't take extra effort outside of what comes natural to him. He just works hard and he serves well and God begins to elevate him. Look with me at at verse three in Genesis 39. It says, when his master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord gave him success in everything that he did, Joseph found favor in his eyes and he became his attendant." Potiphar put him in charge of his household, and he entrusted to his care everything that he owned. See, God had a plan for Joseph's life. He was going to be lifted up above all others. Can I just encourage you today? You don't have to strive. To climb the ladders. You don't have to reach for the next ring. You don't have to try to jump through all the hoops. You don't have to try to earn the the approval and the favor of men. If God has chosen to promote you, what you need to do is you need to focus on being a blessing right where you are. Listen, if Joseph would have been so consumed with the dream and so consumed with the future, he would have missed his moment of elevation in Potiphar's house. The most important thing you can decide to do today is say, I'm going to be a blessing right where I'm at. Look at verse five. It says, from this time, from the time he put him in charge of his household and all that he owned, the Lord blessed the household of the Egyptian because of Joseph. Think about that. Here's an ungodly Egyptian taskmaster, the commander Pharaoh's guard and God is blessing his house. Why? Because God's man is in the house. Some of you, you work for some ungodly people, but God wants to bless that business for no other reason except for that you're there. You're there and God wants to lift your head. And so God's not just going to prosper you, He's going to prosper those that are around you. People are going to be blessed because of their relationship with you. It goes on to say the blessing of the Lord was on everything. Can we just say everything? It was on everything that Potiphar had, both in the house and in the field. Can I say to you today, if you want God to bless you tomorrow, you need to be a blessing today. It's so easy to just go, oh, God, would you do this for me? Would you do that? And God is saying, would you do this for me? Would you be faithful where I've got you? Because it's easy for us to just want to immediately... Just move outside of our current perspective. And we call it faith, and we call it belief, and we call it hope. And it is all those things. But don't discredit the significance of this moment. You are where you are for a reason. And Joseph, if he did anything right, he was faithful. He he just served well in that moment. But one of the difficult things, and one of the hard lessons that we learn from the life of Joseph is that oftentimes God's method of promotion is down, not up. I mean, come on, we, we, we want everything to go up and to the right. Amen. I mean, I got to be honest with you. I'm excited to have this uh, financial report tonight to give to you because everything is up and to the right. I mean, that's what we want to know. That's what we want to see. Nobody wants to hear about going into the red, nobody wants to hear about deficits. And that's the way we look at our spiritual lives. If everything's going up and to the right, then God is good, God is faithful. But sometimes God's method of promotion is inverted the way up is down. Yeah, that's good. Yeah. And that's exactly what happened in the life. Of Joseph, the way up is down. Here's Joseph, he's employee of the month one day, and the next day he's falsely accused of sexual misconduct in the workplace. That's the short version, read it on your own. (laughs) And he goes from employee of the month to convicted felon, and he's put in the prison. He's put in a dungeon, he's put in a dark place, and and most importantly, he's put in a place he didn't deserve to be in. And so we find Joseph in a prison. Here's his story so far, so we're all keeping up. God gives him a dream. His brothers throw him in a pit. He's sold as a slave. He serves well, and for that, he's put in a prison. Have you felt like that described your life before? (laughs) You're like, come on, God. I mean, what have I done wrong here? Everything I'm doing, it seems like I'm moving in the wrong direction. But can I just say to you today, God has a purpose for the process. Don't be discouraged. God has a purpose for the process. And there's an important lesson that, that Joseph is supposed to learn in this season of his life. And the lesson is this. You have to surrender your abilities to God. Lift up your gates, lift up your doors, lift up your strength, lift up your confidence so that the king of glory may come in. See, Joseph had a lot of talent, he had a lot of ability, and he knew it at an early age. What he didn't know how to do was to make room for God to use that gifting so that he would get the glory, so that the king of glory may come in. And oftentimes, that's the hard lesson we have to learn, and that's why the way up is often down maybe you've heard it said before i believe it's true talent can take you to the top of the mountain but only character can keep you there so the first time joseph learns of his incredible gift of interpreting dreams he boasted about it to his family so god humbled him in a pit see the bible says in proverbs 18:16 it says a man's gift will make room for him a man's gift will make room for you. In other words, God has given you certain abilities that are going to open up doors and avenues for you. God's given you the opportunity to do things that he's gifted you and he's talented you to do those things. But you have to make sure you don't ever let your gift take you somewhere that your character can't keep you. The worst thing that could have happened for Joseph was a quick promotion. His character couldn't have handled it. And so as as God, as our gardener, prunes the vine, he's working in your life. He's shaping you in your life. Mark Batterson said this. I love this quote. He said, the leading cause of failure is mismanaged success. The leading cause of success is well-managed failure. So God's process for, for lifting us up begins with us going lower. So in the prison, Joseph still has the gift. Can I just say to you that even if you're at a low place, God hasn't taken his gifting. He hasn't removed the anointing or the calling on your life. You might say, I've never been as low as I am. The good news is God is still with you there. And so even in the prison, Joseph has the gift of God on his life. And so it's not too long after he gets there, that the Bible says the, the man in charge of the of the prison delegates all of his authority to Joseph. Imagine this: Joseph is a prisoner and he is in charge of all the other prisoners. This guy's just like sitting in a chair with his feet up, you know, twirling the keys, and Joseph's just running around doing everything. Why? Because God has given him an incredible gift of leadership and administration, and everything he does, it just goes well. Look at verse 22 in Genesis 39. It says, so the warden put Joseph in charge of all those held in the prison and he was made responsible for all that was done there. The warden, get this, he paid no attention to anything under Joseph's care. Why? Because the Lord was with Joseph and he gave him success in whatever he did. There's some of you that need to redefine your prison season. What you call failure, what you call disappointment, what you call uh, not meeting my expectations, God calls success. Did you see that in the text? He was successful. You know, we allow our our world and and our culture and everything else to define success for us. But can I tell you, you're not a failure if you're faithful. You're not a failure if you're faithful. And here's Joseph moving from from a promise to a pit to a prison, and yet God says, you're successful. That's the narrative of his life up to this point. So here's Joseph. He still has a lesson to learn. And so he's in the prison, and he meets two other prisoners. The Bible tells us in Genesis 40 that, that the chief baker and the chief cupbearer of Pharaoh... Did something to get on his bad side, and they were both thrown into the prison with Joseph. After some time, both of them wake up one morning having had a dream. They're both troubled, and Joseph said, Well, what's going on? And both the cupbearer and and the the baker said, We had dreams last night, and, and neither one of them, neither one of us know what they mean. So Joseph says, Well, tell me your dream. And so they explain. To Joseph, the dreams that they've had, and and using the gift that God had given him, Joseph interprets their dreams, but then he he does something else. He he doesn't just interpret their dream. I want you to see what he says after he gives the interpretation. It's in Genesis chapter 40, verse 14, and again, this one verse just kind of illustrates for us the, the tone of where he's at spiritually. He says in verse 14 of Genesis 40, but when all goes well with you, in other words, he's just giving them the interpretation. He says, when all goes well with you, remember me and show me kindness. Mention me to Pharaoh and get me out of this prison. Here's what Joseph's doing. He's got this God-given ability to interpret dreams, but in this moment, this appeal appeal to, hey, when you get out, remember me. He's trying to leverage the gift of God to make his own way. Joseph's going, you know what? I think I know how this is going to work. I know how I'm going to lift my head. I'm going to do a favor for these guys because they, they're men of position. They have prominence in Pharaoh's court. This guy's the chief cupbearer. He serves drinks to Pharaoh. Hey, when you get out, remember me. And he's thinking at this moment in his life that what God has given him, he can control. He's ready to lift up his abilities. He's ready to lift up his talent. He's ready to lift up his confidence, but he's not making room for the king of glory. He's trying to make his own way out of a prison. And so God leaves him there for two more years. The stories, the dreams, are, are they come to fruition exactly the way that he had described them. Go with me down to verse 20 in Genesis 40 and see what happened. It says, now the third day, Genesis 40, verse 20. Now the third day was Pharaoh's birthday and he gave a feast for all of his officials. He lifted up the heads of the chief cupbearer and the chief baker in the presence of his officials. He restored the chief cupbearer to his position so that he once again put the cup in Pharaoh's hand. But he impaled the chief baker just as Joseph had said to them in his interpretation. So this is exactly what Joseph said the dreams meant. He said, in three days, this is going to happen. And this is exactly what happened. Pharaoh lifted up their heads. He lifted up the cupbearer and the baker. One was restored. The other was gored. (laughs) One had a metal pinned on his chest. The other one was pinned through his chest. Pharaoh lifted up the head of the cupbearer, but he lifted off the head of the baker. And there's a valuable lesson that we can learn from this moment. If you want to have your head lifted, you ought to have it lifted by the father, not the Pharaoh. See, we can't scheme and connive and find our own way to success. We have to yield. We have to surrender. We have to completely submit ourselves not only to the plan and the promise, but also to the process of the Father to get us where he wants us to go. And sometimes the way up is down. But God is working in your circumstance just as sure as he was in the life of Joseph. God has a purpose for the process. The Bible says this in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 6. It's a verse that all of us should, should cling to. It says, humble yourselves. Therefore, under God's mighty hand, that He may lift you up in due time. In due time. See, the timing of the Lord is so important. The timing of the Lord is so important. You might feel like what you're doing today is, is insignificant. You might be one of those people that you feel like, you know, I'm in a, I'm kind of in a holding pattern. I'm in a prison. I'm, I'm in a pit. I, I feel like everything that I, that I'm trying to do is not working. But in due time, stay faithful. The Bible says in Galatians chapter 6 and verse 9, let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time, we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. At the proper time, in due time. Some of you need to, you're in that two year period that Joseph was in. You just need to hear that today. In Due time at the proper time. Stay faithful. Stay faithful. God loves you too much to let your gift give you something your character can't keep. God is working in you. He's refining you. He's shaping you. He's molding you for a purpose. And the lift is coming, I want to promise you. God's moment of elevation can happen in the blink of an eye. Trust the process. Finally, that comes for Joseph in Genesis 41. Two years later, Pharaoh himself has a restless night. The Bible says he had two dreams and he wakes up in the morning and he can't shake them and he can't make sense of them. And so he calls all of his scholars and all of his magicians and he brings them together and he tells them his dream and no one can give him the interpretation. And on that stressful morning, the cupbearer is standing in the presence of Pharaoh and he realizes he had forgotten about Joseph. Two years later, he remembers the guy that said, remember me. When everything that I tell you about this dream comes to pass. And so he tells Pharaoh about this young Hebrew who accurately interpreted his dream and the baker's dream, and how everything that he said came to pass. And and so Joseph, that morning, is taken out of the prison, and he's cleaned up, and he's given new clothes, and he's freshly shaven, and he's brought before Pharaoh. Now, I want you to see how Joseph's heart has changed in this moment. It's Genesis 41, verse 15. Pharaoh says to Joseph, I had a dream And no one can interpret it. But I've heard it said of you that when you hear a dream, you can interpret it. Look at verse 16. I cannot do it. Joseph replied to Pharaoh. But God will give Pharaoh the answer he desires. You see the humility? See, old Joseph would have said, well, I can, but let's work out an agreement. I tell you what, I'll, I'll give you the interpretation of the dream if you will do this for me. I, I'll help you if you'll help me. But here's Joseph in all humility. He's not leveraging his gift. He's not in it for the glory. He wants no accolades. In fact, he says, I can't. I, can't. I realize now what I didn't know when I was 17. I realize now what I didn't understand two years ago, that the gift is not actually mine. I'm just a steward. And then this is actually the Holy Spirit. This is God that has enabled me to do this. And so I can't do it. What he understood is, is what we all need to know. Jesus said, without me, you can do nothing. And that's the posture that Joseph takes in this moment. He says, No, I, I can't. I can't interpret dreams. But God will, God will give you the answer. And he does. And he begins to speak revelation about the next seven years and how God's going to prosper the land. And it's going to be years of increase, but it's going to be followed by seven years of famine. And the only way that you're going to survive those seven years of famine is if right now in the seven years of prosperity, you take one fifth of the harvest and you store it back. And he begins to unfold the wisdom of God. And he says, you need to appoint someone to oversee this. And Pharaoh's standing there with his jaw hanging open. And he says... There's nobody else with that kind of wisdom. You got the job. And in a moment, Joseph goes from prisoner to second highest in command of the Egyptian empire. In a moment, can I just say to you, elevation can come in a moment. Lift, when it comes from the Holy Spirit, happens supernaturally and it can happen quickly. And you don't have to strive for it, you don't have to work for it. All you have to do is position yourself, humble yourself, and say, God, you can use me. I'm not in it for my glory. I'm not in it for my fame. First time he told that dream to his brothers, there was probably a little bit of a, an arrogance to him when he said, oh yeah, you're, you're gonna bow down. You're gonna bow down to me. But by the time he stood before Pharaoh and he took on that mantle of authority, he understood He understood why God had given him that great gift. And in his own words, in Genesis 50 and verse 20, he said, it wasn't for, for the glory of my name, it was for the saving of many lives, yes, that God had a redemptive purpose in my life, and can I say that's true about you, regardless of whether you feel like you're, you're soaring above circumstances or you're living in a prison situation, God has a purpose for your life, and it's the saving of many lives. God's plan for you is, is so much bigger than your lifetime. It's generational. You need to look outside yourself. You need to say, God, there's is, this is nothing that I can do in and of myself, but but God willing, God willing, you can work through me for the saving of many lives. Can I just say to you today, your story is not dissimilar from Joseph's because you too, you have God-given abilities. I don't have time to take you through it in the word, but let me tell you, the Bible says very clearly in 1 Corinthians that when you're saved, the Holy Spirit gives you gifts, He hand picks and selects gifts for you to use that fit like hand in glove with your personality, with your life experience, with there's things that you understand because of the job that you have that I don't understand. There's things that you can be empathetic about because of what you went through as a child. I can't relate to. There are circumstances in your life that God has used to shape you to fit hand in glove with the gift that the Holy Spirit has given you. We have to be willing to to surrender all of that, the good, the bad, the ugly, and the supernatural. We have to surrender it all to the Lord and say, God, here's my life. And as we lift up our heads, as we make room for the king to come in and fulfill the dreams, he's gonna work in the process. There's one phrase that that if you read the story from Genesis 37 all the way to Genesis 50, there's there's one phrase that's repeated over and over again and and it's so key. And and the phrase is this, the Lord was with Joseph. The Lord was with Joseph. Can Can I just say again today? Because I don't know what you're going through. I don't know how long you've been there. But if you'll lift up your head today, the Lord will be with you. Don't miss what God wants to say and what God wants to do because of the place you're in or because of what you're feeling or because of what you're going through or because of what others have said or because you've tried before and failed like Joseph did. Lift up your head because the Lord is with you. You know, for most of this series, I've made references to the Wright brothers and you can see our our illustration for this series is, is of them making that first flight. You know, when they made that flight, most people still thought it was impossible, or or at the very least, that it was was years and years away. Can I just say to us, it's not hard to believe in your dream when you're soaring above your critics. The challenge for all of us is to believe in the dream and trust God in the process when you still haven't figured it out yet. When others don't believe, trust the dream. When others doubt what you can do, trust the dream. When it takes longer than you thought it was going to take, trust the dream. I'm not just talking about optimism. I'm talking about the promises of God. What we sang about earlier, his promise still stands. Great is your faithfulness. Great is your faithfulness. Trust in what God has spoken. If you didn't know it, Before this year, you've been coming to church here. Now we're all well aware that Orville and Wilbur Wright were the, the pioneers of aviation. They built the world's first successful plane. But what most people don't know is that long before they manned that first flight on December 17th, 1903 in Kitty Hawk, North Carolina, What most people don't know is that these two brothers were busy building a plane in a bicycle shop in Dayton, Ohio. They would work during the day. They would burn the midnight oil at night. They would take the parts off of the bikes and they would reconfigure them and reshape them. They used the the understanding of engineering that they had learned in the bicycle shop to get them to the place that they were even willing to, to make the trip across the country and to try to attempt flight over the soft sands of the dunes in Kitty Hawk. And here, here's how it is for us too. These are the moments that we celebrate. Like these, these are the moments, the wins. These are the moments that we wanna look at and, and those are also the moments that we envy in other people. When when they get lift, when their dreams become realities, when they begin to soar, those are the moments that everyone wants to celebrate, the accomplishments. But can I say that those moments don't happen without faithfulness in the obscurity? Without years in a bicycle shop, the Wright brothers never fly at Kitty Hawk. And many times what happens in the life of believers is God will have us working on things in private long before they're unveiled in public. And that's where some of you are at. You're in a private season. You know, it was 13 years that Joseph had to wait. He didn't see the dream come to pass for a long time. God had spoke to Moses that he was going to be the shepherd of Israel But he spent 40 years being the shepherd of sheep on the backside of a wilderness before he ever saw the reality of the dream that God had given him. David went out on a battlefield and he slayed a giant. He saved a nation. But long before he did that, he fought off some coyotes and he fought off a bear. And he fought off a lion, not to save a nation, not under anyone's watchful eye, just to save a few sheep. God anointed him to be king when he was just a teenager. But it was 32 years before he saw the reality of the promise that God had spoken that he would be the king of Israel. you got to trust the process. Jesus said this about Staying faithful in obscurity. In Matthew chapter six, verse six, he said, when you pray, go into your room, close the door and pray to your father who is unseen. Then your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Maybe you're here today and you feel like nobody knows my sacrifice. Nobody knows how much I give. Nobody knows about what's happening in my obscurity. If that's you today, remember this thought. There is no such thing as obscurity in God's sovereignty. He sees you. Knows where you're at. In fact, he's got you there. Doesn't mean we like it. It means he knows where we're at. Don't curse your bicycle shop. Don't curse the process. There's things that God wants you to learn in this season of your life. There's things that God wants you to glean from your trouble, from your trial. If you'll be faithful, don't curse the bicycle shop. If you'll be faithful, there'll be a time where the winds will blow there'll be a time where lift will come. God's not going to keep you where you're at forever, but he's going to keep you there until you're ready. He's going to keep you there so that when your gift makes room for you, your character can keep you. That's exactly what God told the prophet Zechariah. He said, don't despise the day of small beginnings. It, It might look like it's insignificant right now. It might look like... It's not what it needs to be right now. But in Zechariah 4.10, the Lord said, who dares despise the day of small things? Since the seven eyes of the Lord that reigns throughout the earth will rejoice when they see the chosen capstone in the hand of Zerubbabel. God was saying in that moment that the seven eyes of the Lord just means that God's aware on every side. He knows what's going on. And what had happened is he had spoken to Zerubbabel to go and rebuild the temple. And so he started doing it. He started rebuilding the temple. But all the, all the older Jews who remembered the old temple, the one that Solomon had built, the one that was glorious and splendorous and huge and magnificent, they scoffed at it. That, that little thing, that's what you're building for God? The prophet Haggai said they laughed. They cried at it. They, they were so disappointed that really, this is the temple? This is nothing. And God speaks. Don't you dare despise the day of small beginnings. Don't you call a small thing what I'm doing. It, it might just be the back room in a bicycle shop, but I'm about, I'm about to bring you into the greatest invention of the century. It might look like you're in a prison, but I'm I'm forming you. I'm shaping you to lead a nation. Don't despise the day of small beginnings. Stay faithful. Stay faithful. For Joseph, it was a pit. It was was a prison. For David, it was a lion and a bear. For Moses, it was the backside of a wilderness. I I don't know what your process is but stay faithful because there is a time to fly and I believe the Holy Spirit wants to position you to do great things. 1 Peter 5, 6 says, humble yourselves and this is the key. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand that he may lift you up in due time in due time. Let me give you one more story. I, I, I learned in researching a little history. <laughs> this just blows my mind. So Orville and Wilbur Wright are at Kitty Hawk, December 17th, 1903. They've done it. I mean, it's actually happened. They've flown 120 feet, not very far, but they've flown. It's 120 feet farther than anybody else has ever flown. And they're so excited about it that immediately they go and they send a telegram back to Catherine, their sister, in Dayton, Ohio. Here's what the telegram said. We have actually flown 120 feet. We'll be home for Christmas. Catherine was so excited she hastily runs down the street. She shoves the telegram in front of the editor of the newspaper. This is the news scoop of the century. The editor looks down and he reads it carefully and he smiles and he says, wow, how nice. The boys will be home for Christmas. <laughs> Some people just won't see what God's doing until it's done. Some people have no idea what God has spoken to you. Don't let that discourage you. You know, we spend too much time listening to other people and even listening to ourselves. And those voices, they can be discouraging, they can be defeating. Those adversarial lies, you're not good enough. God can't use you. you're not talented enough. you don't know the Bible enough. You waited too long. too, too many, too many mistakes, too many failures. What we need to do is we actually need to start talking to ourselves. Stop listening to yourself. Start talking to yourself. That's what David figured out. He asked himself in Psalm 42. He said, Why are you so downcast, O my soul? Self, what's your problem? (laughs) Quit quit living defeated, quit being discouraged. Why why are you so disturbed within me? That's the question you need to ask yourself. You need to quit listening to yourself and everybody else, and you just need to start talking to yourself today. Why are you so disturbed? Put your hope in God, for I will praise him, my Savior and my God. I will praise him. Some of you need to make that determination today. Why have I been so discouraged? Why have I been been so defeated? Why why am I cursing the process? Why do I think just because I'm moving down, God's not still lifting me up? Why are you so disturbed? Put your hope in God. I will praise him. I will bless the Lord. I will give him glory. Why? Because there is no obscurity in God's sovereignty because he knows the end from the beginning. And I want to pray for you today. Maybe, maybe I've spoken into your life. Maybe I've spoken into your situation. And as we end this service today, I just sense that God wants to, he just wants to call faith out of us today. He wants you to lift up your head. He wants you to begin to praise God. Not because the circumstances have changed, but because your perspective has. That you would stop cursing the bicycle shop and that you would start believing that God is working for your good. He's with you today. Whatever your circumstances, you can say the same thing that the psalmist said in Psalm 23. Surely, your goodness and your mercy, they follow me all the days of my life. Surely, you're with me. Surely, you're with me. I'm gonna ask you to bow your head with me. Close your eyes all over this room. The Holy Spirit is speaking to you today. You need to hear him saying to you, the Lord is with you. Maybe the Holy Spirit's speaking to you today about your dreams and your plans. And you say, you know what I need to do? I need to surrender that. I need to give it to God. I've been striving. I've been trying to make my dreams a reality. And God's trying to slow me down so that I can make room for the King of glory to come in. Maybe you're here today and you've been despising the day of small beginnings. It's just you wish it was more. You wish it was faster. You wish it would change sooner. And God's speaking to you to stay faithful. Stay faithful in the secret place. If you'll seek him in the secret place, he'll reward you publicly. If that's you today and the spirit of God speaking to you right where you're sitting, will you just lift your hand? Just lift up your hand and say, Pastor, that's me. God's stirring my heart today. He's calling me. He's speaking to me. Praise God. Hands are going up all over this room. All over this room, people are saying, that's me. The Holy Spirit is speaking to me. Father, right now, would you just seal the deal by your Holy Spirit? God, as you're stirring our hearts, as you're prompting us to to lift our heads today, to not be discouraged, to not be downcast, but to put our hope in God to choose today to praise you as our Savior and our God. Today, by your Spirit, would you begin to give us clarity? Lord, help us to see, God, what you're doing, how you're moving. Give us the patience that we need to trust you through the process. God, we surrender all that we have and all that we are to who you are and to what you want to accomplish. God, we give it to you in Jesus' name. Amen man, can we stand?